there. This is Cassia, and welcome to The Evan Hawk, a podcast where we discuss Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, as well as everything Star Wars. Today, I'll be talking about the Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian series, and potential directors for a KOTOR adaptation. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films and TV shows. So this week, Coden is uh, out of town. He's being socially distant and careful, but he's just unavailable to record this week. So this will be the first solo episode of The Ebon Hawk. I thought we could get started with some listener questions. Ironnick.designs, and they ask, if this wasn't asked already, who do you cast for a KOTOR film or series, KOTOR 1 and 2? Boy, that is a big question. Um, I think what we're going to do in the future is each time we cover a character, we will come up with a uh, potential fan cast and like ask people who they would want. But for this question, I will just go over the, the characters we've talked about. So we've talked about Mission Veo. I don't really have a preference for her, but I really don't want someone who's been on the Disney Channel or the CW. Maybe someone new or new-ish, you know. They probably won't get a teenager because sometimes it's just, you know, it's hard to get a teenager. Just someone who seems younger, you know. No preference really, but I just really don't want to, like, have maybe people mention, like, ah! remember them for the Disney Channel or the CW. I'm like, no, please no. And then for Candace Ordo, um, I would say Nikolai Coster-Waldo. He was Jamie Lannister on Game of Thrones. And I could just see him being an interesting Candace Ordo. Or even a Darth Malak. The more I kind of think about it, I think he would be a good Darth Malak because I think he could kind of pull off the jaw prosthetic I, I always kind of found that metal jaw to be ridiculous, but maybe he could sell it and make me not think it's goofy. Uh, and I just think he has a, a good voice, like a good menacing voice. Not that he's always menacing, he can just, you know, act menacing and like he kind of has uh, some uh, hidden hidden depths and layers in his performance in Game of Thrones. So I like that. And then Revan, I haven't revealed it yet because I'm sort of embarrassed by my fan cast. So maybe in the future if someone guesses it or it comes up, I'll say it. But I'm going to hold back on that one for now. And I just don't want Keanu Reeves for Revan, so sorry. And then for Atten Rand, I would say uh, Garrett Hedlund. He's just a, an actor I, I've liked for a long time. I actually really liked him in Troy and then Tron Legacy. I thought he did a great job there. 
And there should be a Tron 3 by now. Maybe they can do a... Uh, using the technology that they use in The Mandalorian, they can make a TV show for a lot cheaper. I don't know, on Disney+. Plus. Those are my fan casts. Maybe Codens are different, but uh, we shall see. And then Paulino Medici asks, which style would you like the director to give the KOTOR adaptation? Uh, serious with irony, epic, dramatic. And I would have to say I really don't like irony in Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't take itself 100% seriously, but it does believe in itself. That's kind of what I would go for with Star Wars, but I think the Knights of the Old Republic 1 game, it's kind of a bit more like A New Hope. It's kind of like your hero's journey, hopeful adventure, you know? I would say kind of keep it in that camp, but... Films can have mixed tones, like it can have some like goofy, lighthearted moments and then some more dramatic, darker moments, which, and I don't, I'm fine with films mixing tones, honestly. Some people it's a problem, but I think life is all about different tones and I think life and stories reflect each other, so I'm, I'm fine with that. But I would say divide KOTOR 1, the, the story of KOTOR 1, into a trilogy. The first one, it's more of a hero's journey adventure. And then the second one, it's kind of a little bit like a Indiana Jones movie, kind of like they're looking for star maps and like they have to outrun, you know, Darth Malak and the Sith forces. Because in the second film of Star Wars trilogies, it's kind of like a, a genre film. Because in Attack of the Clones, you have like a detective story, you know, the third iteration in the trilogy it's usually like a it's either a fall or a redemption because in revenge of the sith you have a fall and then like if there were like a third iteration in a kotor trilogy i would say keep it hopeful but kind of make it about redemption first it, it's kind of like your light hero's journey second a little bit darker and then third kind of darker but but still with light and fun, but that's how I would do it. So, and then the last question comes from at Texas Sarlacc and they ask, any plans for merch in the future? And the short answer is yes. And we'll see when that happens. We also have plans for a Patreon. So we're gonna try to bring those to pass. We'll see when it happens, but stay tuned and we'll get there. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the Disney Gallery Mandalorian episodes one and two. Disney Gallery Mandalorian episode one, that episode is all about directing. There are, all the directors are sitting at a table and going around clockwise, you have Jon Favreau, who is the creator of The Mandalorian and executive producer and writer. 
And then next to him, you have Dave Filoni. He's the executive producer as well. And he directed and he wrote a bit. Taika Waititi, uh, who was the director and voice of IG-11. And then you have Rick Famuyiwa, who uh, is a director. And then Deborah Chow, who also directed. And the other executive producers, of course, are Kathleen Kennedy and Colin Wilson. And I guess John... Favreau and Dave Filoni, they run the ship. They run the ship of the Mandalorian. All of these directors, they each bring different perspectives of the same vision, and they're all quick learners, and they push the medium forward. And as as I watch these episodes, I I just kind of get this sense that all of them working together and collaborating, it's like this is their training ground for future Star Wars TV shows and films. They're, they're all learning from and teaching each other and creating great work. Each director kind of gets a, a kind of gets their time in the limelight. Um, so the first director they go over is Dave Filoni and he directed episodes one and five. And it, it goes into like how he got started. So he was doing uh, some work in 2D animation. He worked on King of the Hill and then worked in the Disney TV division for a bit. Then he was working on Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, And one day he he gets a call and this is someone asking for Dave Filoni saying, hey, George recommended you. Uh, Would you want to come in for an interview for The Clone Wars? It's going to be a CG show. We're from Lucasfilm Animation, and he's like, uh, the Clone Wars already happened in 2003, uh, and there's no such thing as Lucasfilm Animation, and it was new then. Uh, he, he just thought it was the people from Spongebob kind of pulling a joke on him, so he, they made the appointment, and then Dave was like, uh, who, who is this? Like, who put you up to this? And then she's like, uh, is this Dave Filoni? And then he's like, yeah. And you work on Avatar The Last Airbender? He's like, yeah. Then she's like, you're you're the guy. And then he, he kind of put it together. And he's like, oh, no, this is real. And I, I'm, I'm kind of blowing it. So he's like, uh, you have no idea how the guy I am. I am so the guy. And she was probably going to, like, hang up and kind of, like, not talk to him again. But they'd already made the appointment. So she's like, oh, I'll keep, I'll keep the appointment. And that's that. But... He ended up going into two appointments, and then he met he met George, and George is just looking at his portfolio, kind of going through it, and he's like, I think a Jedi would kind of go like like this, kind of be more like a, a samurai, kind of like in the realm of the Toshira Mifune characters. He's just listening, and he's like, ah. Oh. I just get to meet George Lucas. This will this will up my nerd cred when I'm in line for Revenge of the Sith. I'm never gonna get it. And it was just a ten minute meeting, and he's like, "That was nice." And he's just in the green room, and he's like, "I'm not gonna get that job." But then they're like, "You got the job." Dave Filoni. He worked on Clone Wars, and then later Rebels. When he was working on Clone Wars, he wasn't working with he wasn't working with storyboards, but he was learning the language of film and live action. But even when you're sketching, it's like a way of looking at story and you're thinking of how to construct and convey a story. Because George Lucas, he he always was thinking in terms of camera and blocking. 
he, he was always kind of learning those skills and kind of at the back of uh, Dave's mind, he's, he's, he was always kind of thinking like, oh, maybe live action, I, I can try that someday. All the directors, they, they say that Dave Filoni is a great collaborator, great animator, director, storyteller, and writer. And for him, it's all about George, all about Star Wars. How we love Star Wars is it's just pure, obvious, and there's no ego about it, you know? Which which I like. He He's the one who knows what fits Star Wars, so yeah. And then Deborah Chow, she directed episodes three and seven, and I guess she was just a very effective director, and she does great action scenes, because I remember everyone in episode three, after that came out, they're like, yes, action, jetpacks, fight, it was amazing, and then it was even increased in episode seven. I believe she's going to uh, be directing the Kenobi series once that gets off the ground. I hope it comes off the ground next year. But she was always a big genre, uh, director. When you, when you direct a lot of TV like she has, you have to be ambitious and quick. And the best way to do that is to just come in with a plan. And so that's, that's where she kind of developed, uh, that skill. And when she directs, she always tries to find the life in the moments, which which I love. And then Rick Famuyiwa, he directed episodes two and six. In episode two, you have the Jawa sand crawler. And it's it's crazy, cause like when you look at it, it, it seemed like he was like really there in Star Wars, like with the sand crawler, it was really cool. Uh, and then episode six was the heist. And that wasn't my favorite of the Mandalorian episodes, but it had great action. And it felt very distinct. But in episode six, it's kind of like character development because it's showing that the Mandalorian, kind of through being like a, a surrogate father in a way to baby Yoda, he doesn't fit with his old crowd as much anymore. So that was interesting. And Famuyiwa was saying, when you have all these directors on a team like that, they're, they're connected, but then uh, each director is given the freedom and creativity to do do something different. So it's like they are complementary but distinct and I I like that in The Mandalorian. And he talks about Star Wars and he goes on to say how much it influenced his life and who he is creatively. Uh, he saw it in theaters and there was a big line and he was just blown away. And you can really tell that he really loves Star Wars. And I get that too, because I, I mean, obviously I, I didn't see it in theaters, but uh, since the first moment I saw it, just like on VCR, like I loved it and I, I was hooked. So I get that. And then there's Taika Waititi. What I didn't realize is he didn't really start directing until he was 30. Before that, he did some stand-up comedy and theater. He kind of struggled. Uh, he wouldn't really be hired by the main fancy theaters. He and his friends would kind of just have to hire each other. Um, so then he started directing. He kind of just had to start with a shoestring budget and like utilize some of the rejected Lord of the Rings props. But he kind of found he had a knack for film. 
because he had all these different interests like music, art, performance, writing, and storytelling, and film kind of wraps that all in one. Humor is a big part of Watiti's repertoire. So he's all about finding the humor in the action while not making fun of it. And that that's a hard that's a hard balance to get right. And then there's this quote I love, and it says, This whole series, though there's humorous moments, it's a serious story. It doesn't take itself 100% seriously, but it does believe in itself. That's just a, a quote I, I really, really love. What I, what I love is that you have these directors collaborating and bouncing ideas off of each other. Dave Filoni calls it a Star Wars school. Out of the directors uh, for the, the new Star Wars films, you had J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, Gareth Edwards... A lot of the films had to had to be reshot. I think there were some problems and just some things that didn't end up working out. So I think to fix it, they ended up saying rather than give a director just a, a whole film to work on, we're going to test, see if the potential director can work on the Mandalorian, give them something smaller, and, and just see, like, if they're a good fit. Then you have Taika Waititi. He has a new film, but it wasn't announced until after the Mandalorian finale. And then Deborah Chow, uh, she was uh, put on to direct the Kenobi series. So I think they're trying to kind of just see if these directors are a good fit and just help them learn the skills in Star Wars in a high-budget way, but not, not as critical of a, of a way. So I think it's so the directors can learn the skills in Star Wars in, in a capacity, but it's not as dire as a film. And because they're a team, they can all fix it together, and they help each other. Some of them pick up shots for other directors, and I think that's beautiful. Because directing is, you're kind of learning and you're having to adapt to new challenges every day. And you have opportunities and opportunities disguised as challenges. You have to be creatively brave, but it, it can be done. And with all these directors, I kind of see them as like uh, the bad batch, like they... They each have something different that makes them unique, and together they're an unstoppable team. So that's kind of what I got out of episode episode one. Episode 2, it is titled Legacy. So for this episode, you have John Favreau, Dave Filoni, John Nall, who is the ILM visual effects supervisor, and then you have Hal Hickel, the animation director, and Richard Bluff, who is also a visual effects supervisor. 
And you have Kathleen Kennedy, who's the president of Lucasfilm and executive producer. Been a producer for uh, Spielberg and Lucas uh, since the early days. And she's their friend. And uh, George Lucas uh, made her uh, president of Lucasfilm. And while I haven't been a fan of all of her decisions in the new films, just watching this episode... Kind of, like, it made me just, like, kind of see her more as a person, you know? It softened me to her. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all humans, and, like, I just hope at the end of the day that even if we disagree over films, uh, that we'd all know that we're human at the end of the day. But, yeah, um, Noel, he, he worked for ILM, because he was inspired by Star Wars and he was always kind of hoping like, oh, I hope you work on Star Wars. But at the annual meetings, people would always ask George Lucas if, are we going to work on a Star Wars film? And he would, in the first few years, kind of be like, eh, non-committal. But then it kind of started to change one year. He said, eh, maybe. Then it ended up that the prequels ended up happening and he did a lot of miniature work on the prequels. What I love about Lucas and Star Wars is that they never stop creating. They're always pushing tech forward. And Dave Filoni says George Lucas created Star Wars. He is the person who understands the characters in the world because they all came out of his brain. You bring in collaborators and the characters expand and you have a galaxy full of stories because that universe was created. They, they also go over some of the contributions that George Lucas made. Because when Kathleen Kennedy first came on, she, she, she found out that Lucas had 126 patents alone. And then they created the first CG character. They created Edit Droid, which became Avid. Motion Control. And they, they worked on Jurassic Park, ILM, and, and so much more. So they, they kind of discuss the technical legacy, like the technology, and then they kind of delve into the storytelling. And Carl Weathers, a.k.a. Creed, a.k.a. Grief Karga in The Mandalorian, he talks about uh, the storytelling aspect of the legacy of Star Wars. And he says, as I became a bit more of a student of filmmaking, I really began to appreciate the brilliance of Star Wars and what Lucas had created. And then I, of course, started to read more and The Hero's Journey and all those kinds of books and began to really appreciate Joe Campbell and what he was saying and understand a lot more. Because of George Lucas and because of Star Wars, I ended up reading Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's a, it's a great book that we we discussed in episodes 12 and 15. It took me two years to read. It really just gets me thinking about story, history, just different cultures and life. My life has been totally enriched because I read that book. I'm still working through his library, but that's one of the reasons I, on Tuesdays on the Ebon Hawk podcast, Instagram feed. On Tuesdays, I always do a hashtag inspired a galaxy post because I, I think kind of learning about the inspirations of Star Wars 
and creating deeper connections helps us kind of grow and evolve and appreciate story, helps us appreciate story more. So that's why I do that. One suggestion if you're interested in the intersection of filmmaking, stories, books, all of that is the Hero's Journey podcast. And you can find them on Instagram at Hero's Journey Podcast. I actually ended up finding their podcast not because they have an Empire Strikes Back episode, but just because I I was always a big fan of the Hero's Journey. Um, and they have a great, entertaining, and informative podcast. And it just helps me understand film and stories and books at a deeper level. Um, so I, I would highly recommend that podcast. And then you come back to the table of directors. And they're talking about how Star Wars is kind of a modern mythology and just how there are so many deep themes and quotes in Star Wars. I mean, in Empire Strikes Back alone, you have Yoda and Luke and Yoda lifts up the X-Wing above Luke and Luke says, I don't believe it. And then Yoda says, that is why you fail. And there's just so many lessons if, if you pay attention to Empire Strikes Back, you know? Like in the cave, you have Luke fighting Darth Vader. And then he strikes it, and then he sees his face. And and it's just like when you... Sometimes when you strike another person, you're really just hurting yourself, you know? And so there's so many deep themes. Then Deborah Chow talks about, like getting Quill and IG-11, kind of to get you to care about IG-11, who was a bad, just kind of just a murderous robot. She kind of had to get people to care about this robot and not make it goofy, but make it like a progression that matters, you know? So Quill and IG-11 have an arc, so then Mando has an arc. And then you see Quill holding IG-11, kind of teaching IG-11 to walk. And then when IG-11 and Quill die, you you feel that loss, you know? So Star Wars is a lot like modern mythology. And myths, they are stories for the generation coming of age. And movies are probably the closest thing to myths in our age. I kind of wish there were more options, but you know. But movies are powerful. John Favreau says story is still important and story with progression and the idea of sacrifice and perseverance and evolution through challenge. That's what makes movies hit with us, you know? That's what makes people care. And like I said earlier, story reflects life and life re reflects story. So it's not just being entertained and seeing CG it's about story at the end of the day. That's what it should be about. And Star Wars is a movie series that is about a lot more than what it's literally about. And that's what I what I love about and that's what I love about Star Wars is that there's so many deep themes and great characters and different connections you can make, whether it's oh history, spirituality, religion, stories, all that it's deeper than, than you think. And then the last about 10 minutes of episode two, 
Um, I think this is Dave Filoni's audition to be something, something prominent in Lucasfilm's future, and he nails it. So he talks about the Duel of the Fates at the end of this episode, and he's saying it's not just a cool fight, even though, like, yes, it is a cool fight, but at the end of the day, it's about what the characters are fighting for, what motivates them. These are two Jedi in their prime versus what looks to be the devil, you know? The stakes of the fight is Anakin's fate, so Duel of the Fates is, is Anakin going to be Darth Vader or not? And his explanation of the Duel of Fates, I watched this episode right after we had episode 21, and I thought over more about what we said. It kind of got me thinking. I don't think I would change anything I said, because I do think, like, visually you are telling a story when you're showing how these characters fight. But there also has to be a why that motivates the characters, and that is important. So I've learned something. So he, he helped me see some greater storytelling illumination. So, if Qui-Gon lives in this fight, there's no Darth Vader, and that is because Qui-Gon is a different kind of Jedi. He loves, and he would be the father that Anakin would need. Um, Qui-Gon, he hasn't given up on the fact that Jedi are supposed to care, because most of the Jedi now are kind of too detached and political. And when Qui-Gon dies, Obi-Wan becomes his master, but he's not the father that Anakin needs. He can be a brother, but not a father. So then, who can be his father figure? It's Emperor Palpatine, who's evil and wants to use Anakin for his own purposes. So Anakin is a slave again to Emperor Palpatine. And this carries on to Return of the Jedi. Luke, and Luke, when he is on the second Death Star is challenged by Emperor Palpatine, like, I know you want to kill me, you can kill me and be rid of me, but if he did that, he'd be giving in to the dark side. The Force and his Force powers are not what's going to save him here. They got him to the table, but it's not a punching fight with the Force, you know? It's not about the lightsabers at the end of the day. They don't save him. It's the love he has for his father and belief in his father that, that saves him because Anakin, he has to be the father that he never had and he died saving his son. And I'm really trying not to cry here, but it's, it's, it's a powerful story at the end of the day and he gives it up and they save each other. And it's beautiful. One through six, they just fit together so well. That's the beauty of Star Wars and George Lucas's vision, and it's why it works and why we care, is because it's about family at the end of the day. What was important to George at the end of the day is hope, and Dave Filoni ends with this quote from George Lucas, and it says, Remember to make these stories hopeful. Remember to give that to the kids because they really need it. And I think it's trite to say, but I think we need hope now more than ever. And if a Star Wars movie about space can help those kids, let's, let's give them hope.
Okay, so for viewer suggestions, uh, one name was very, very popular with our with our followers and listeners. That name is Dave Filoni. At RaulMV93 says Filoni. And at Coops.CoolMe says Dave, of course. And then at LunarSpark underscore Arts, Dave Filoni, smiley face. The Order of the Jedi, Dave Filoni, Ghost Fighter X, Dave Filoni. SWKotor.memes, Dave Filoni, or someone who knows Kotor. And Eduardo underscore Lependa says Dave Filoni. To be honest, I wanted Chris Avalone to be the guy behind it, but it is highly unlikely, so I went with the obvious choice in Filoni. And it's a scout boy, says either Filoni or Abrams. I I can definitely see the allure of having Dave Filoni on the team for Knights of the Old Republic, but right now or in the next few years, I just wonder if he has enough live action experience. I think he's going to get there. I think that's why he is working on The Mandalorian and probably some other upcoming live-action shows. I think we'll definitely see him direct a film, but if a potential KOTOR adaptation happened in the next few years, I just wonder if he would be experienced enough for a live-action film. But I would definitely want him on the writing team or kind of as the keeper of the... Keeper of the Jedi Code, you can say. Like, he should be the go-to person if people have questions. I think he should kind of be like the George Lucas and kind of mediate what's happening, kind of being in control, kind of keep things the way George Lucas would do it. And then I, I definitely think having some of the KOTOR writers on the writing team or involved in some capacity running scripts by them I, I would be all for that, honestly. So, but for J.J. Abrams, for me, J.J. Abrams is, is kind of just more derivative than not. I enjoyed the first Star Trek and the Mission Impossible 3. I enjoyed that too, but everything else, I, I kind of think J.J. Abrams is a bit derivative. And then there were a lot of people that said they would want Dave Filoni with Taika Waititi. Uh, Legions of the Sith said, get Filoni to do it. Well, if not him, I wouldn't mind Taika Waititi. And then Paulino Medici says, Dave Filoni with Waititi. I'd kind of want to give Taika another property. Let him be creative and come up with something rather than do an adaptation. But it's an interesting team to have Filoni and, and Waititi. I wouldn't be opposed to something like that in the future. And then StarWars.Lores says... Taika Waititi. And then here were some of the other suggestions some of our listeners had. Plex Armory said Danny Boyle. And I wouldn't be opposed to Danny Boyle. He's one of the most um, successful British directors. Uh, He directed films such as 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, and Yesterday. And I most recently, out of all of his films, I most recently watched Yesterday and He just kind of does a lot of different kinds of films. Um, I think he can just kind of tackle a lot of different types of stories and he would be a fun and not a typical pick for a Star Wars film. And then Star Wars Negotiation says Russo Brothers. And then at underscore pastel underscore pink underscore panther underscore says Russo Brothers and or Guy Ritchie. 
Uh, when it comes to the Russo brothers, I love their work on Community and Captain America Winter Soldier. They, they did a solid job on Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. And I guess they have a live-action Hercules movie coming out. We'll see how that's affected by everything going on. I think they're good directors, but I just wonder if it would be too samey, you know? I try to keep Marvel and Star Wars distinct, and there's just been so many Marvel films, and I would just want to have a new flavor on cinematic landscape, so... I can definitely see where the allure is, like they do solid franchise films, but I, I think I would just maybe want something a bit different. We'll have more about Guy Ritchie in the next comment, but he is an action director I love. and. At Galactic underscore artwork says, Guy Ritchie, his stylistic way of doing fights and capturing the intellect of his characters, I think, would be very important for an adaptation of KOTOR. He handled Sherlock Holmes very well and was able to do an excellent job with Moriarty, which shows his ability to interpret characters with source material and still present them in a way that holds true to the source material while reimagining interesting and fresh. Side note, Filoni should be involved for Star Wars knowledge, but I don't like him as a director for this, given his very limited experience with live action. And I agree, uh, because Dave Filoni, he understands Star Wars better than anyone except for George Lucas, I think. I would want him at the table for KOTOR. I think he would help keep it canonical and consistent. But yeah, like... I just don't think he has enough of the live-action experience yet. I think at some point he will, and I would love to see him do a film if it didn't take him away, if it didn't take him away from helping manage all of Star Wars at Lucasfilm. Guy Ritchie, um, I loved The Man from Uncle and King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. It was a fun movie, and I enjoyed Aladdin, so I really liked Galactic underscore artwork's uh, take on... Guy Ritchie, and I think it could be a fun take because action is a big, big part of Star Wars, but I don't think he's just an action director. And at the end of the day, like these films, they're meant to be fun. And then Star Wars.lore says James Mangold or Matt Reeves. And for some reason, I was getting Matt Reeves mixed up with Matthew Vaughn, and I was like, oh yeah, Matthew Vaughn, that would be fun. And then I was like, Oh, Matt Reeves is totally different from Matthew Vaughn, so I learned something today. But outside of Logan, I'm not that familiar with Mangold's work, but I can definitely see the allure. I think if you had an older Revan, kind of like at the end of his life, or even a Darth Bane character, I think he could handle that very well. Um, Matt Reeves, he's done Cloverfield, Planet of the Apes uh, installments, and... The Batman that's coming out with Robert Pattinson. Um, I don't know if I'm feeling uh, the Matt Reeves choice. Um, he's a great director, but I think it's just for me a personal preference. He wouldn't be my first pick, but I can definitely see uh, why he'd be a good fit. Then uh, at Jedi.amar.tall uh, says, John Favreau for a KOTOR adaptation. And then Christopher Nolan as well. Nolan is great at plot twists and doing one for Revan would be fantastic. Jon Favreau would be a fun choice for KOTOR. Uh, he's directed Elf, 
Iron Man, Iron Man 2, The Jungle Book, and The Lion King. I just wonder who would be watching Lucasfilm if he were directing a movie, if it would kind of take him away from kind of seeing the big picture. Um, unless KOTOR is a major branch and it needs like a bit, a good guiding hand, I, I would be for it. Like, I, I'm totally for him directing it. I just wonder what the repercussions would be for Lucasfilm if he did that and, and like the repercussions for The Mandalorian. But one thing I was kind of thinking about as, as, as I was typing that list is The Jungle Book helped um, create some of the technology used in, in The Mandalorian and The Lion King kind of helped push that technology forward. I really didn't like the Lion King live action adaptation because it was kind of just a shot for shot remake with like not really as much creativity and like the animals seemed very lifeless. But I kind of just wonder if Disney just kind of made the Lion King live action so they could create the technology and kind of have that like kind of guaranteed cash flow coming in that the Lion King would bring just so they could develop that technology to use in other shows and films. So it wasn't just like they were creating it, but it was created for film. And it seems like that that technology, how they were able to visualize a scene using VR and all that helped them with The Mandalorian. So I, that was something I was kind of thinking today. Christopher Nolan is probably in the top three directors of our day. I think he is an excellent director, a great director, but I kind of think Star Wars is an orange and his style of directing is a potato and they're each great foods, but I, I just don't think they go together because his Dark Knight trilogy, it was kind of, it was an excellent trilogy, but it was something very different from what, from what Batman films typically are. And that was one of the strengths. But I kind of just wonder if he were to do Star Wars, he would want to do something kind of completely different. Maybe that wouldn't fit the... I just wonder if he would do something that didn't fit the universe. I'm kind of for like doing Infinities, kind of doing some different Elseworld style film. But I, I just don't know if that would quite jive with like what audiences are wanting. Um, so like, yeah, I think he's a great director, but I think like sometimes you have a like a a nail where you need a screw, you know? It's just like not quite what we are needing, if that makes sense. So Conan, of course, is gone, but he sent me his director shortlist, and he said, my biggest feedback is the need for creative freedom. I think given if J.J. wanted another shot, he could make a cool KOTOR world if Disney and Lucasfilm lets him run with it. For the most part, the only director that sat sour with me was Ryan Johnson so far, he was out in left field, as well as forgot to read what JJ set up, lol. Um, like, I, c I can understand that. I kind of don't think that Disney gives their creators enough creative control, which is kind of hard because that's the whole reason why George Lucas created Lucasfilm is so he could make the films he wanted and not have the studios control it. And then and then Lucasfilm was sold to a studio that kind of micromanages a lot of things. So I kind of wonder if Disney or Lucasfilm will let creative freedom kind of ever happen again. But 
I kind of think like JJ is just kind of a little bit too derivative for my tastes. When episode seven came out, I really wasn't that impressed. Episode nine was kind of like a quadrant four tested film designed to make everyone happy, but it didn't really make anyone happy. So kind of after those two, I, I think I would be kind of off the J.J. Abrams bus. I would honestly be okay with Ryan Johnson directing again. Um, I mean, I had some, I had problems with The Last Jedi, but I think he was thinking about characters and themes. I didn't always agree with his interpretation of the characters, but I like him as a filmmaker and what he comes up with. I kind of just wish he didn't do episode eight of the nine-part Skywalker saga. I, I kind of wonder what it would be like if he set up the, the sequel trilogy, like if he directed episode seven, or if he kind of just did his own Star Wars film and he wasn't playing with legacy characters. Because I really like his films like Knives Out. I, I watched that a lot over the last few uh, months. And I really enjoy it. And I think he's a he's a great director and a great storyteller. But I just think a lot of fans would not, even if it was a great film, they wouldn't want to see it. And I just kind of wonder if in the short term it would not do well. So, but yeah, I always hear contrasting things like there wasn't a plan for the sequel trilogy or there was a plan, but the plan got messed up. But I'm not quite sure who to believe. But I, what I think would have been ideal is if J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, and Colin Trevorrow, who was originally going to direct Nine, were locked in a room and they were locked there for months and they all had to kind of come up with a trilogy that would work together and they weren't all kind of doing their own thing. I, I just kind of wish they were sitting at a table and coming up with something together and when they were done, they, they could leave and make those films. That's what should have happened at, before the trilogy was ever started. So, oh well. And then my director shortlist is, if I were to choose anyone, like, sitting at the Mandalorian's directing table, I would choose Deborah Chow or Jon Favreau. Uh, because I think Deborah Chow, she has a great feel for action and character. And John Favreau is just a solid filmmaker. Those would be my picks. Anyways, this has been Cassia. And you can find us on Instagram at Podcast. And then you can always email us your comments and questions at ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. Then if you're on Twitch, you can go to twitch.tv forward slash codenbon. And Coden streams on Thursday evenings at 6 to 7 Mountain Standard Time. So our podcast can be found everywhere that Anchor Podcasts are distributed at The Ebon Hawk. And we are always grateful for subscriptions and reviews. And our SoundCloud is going to be discontinued on June 15th. So if you're listening on that platform, you would probably want to, to go to our Instagram and find the link in the bio and find another option so you can keep listening. And then our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Schurman. He can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker. He can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been episode 23 of The Ebon Hawk. May the force be with you. 
Stay safe. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.